Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com Spotify. TommyJohn.com Spotify. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the gray Strandom wing chair, was $369, now $299. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99. And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Around 9.30 p.m. on February 12, 1976, actor Sal Mineo pulled into the garage outside his apartment complex. The 37-year-old smiled as he grabbed his dinner, a pack of cigarettes, and some Hostess cupcakes from the front seat of his beat-up car. Though he could no longer afford the expensive meals and luxurious suits he'd once enjoyed, Sal felt better than he had in years. He was starring in a successful play and for the first time in perhaps a decade was excited about acting. He strode confidently across the courtyard toward his apartment, dim incandescent lamps and the light of a waxing moon guiding his way. The sound of his footsteps alerted a person crouching in a nearby alleyway. The figure tensed and sank back into the shadows, waiting. The next few moments were a tangle of chaos and sorrow. As Sal rounded the corner, the figure struck. His attacker moved so fast Sal hardly had time to cry out. He tried to raise his hand, but the knife had already found its mark. In an instant, he felt ice-cold shock replaced by white-hot pain. Sal stumbled and collapsed, screaming for help. His attacker hesitated for a moment and then took off, vanishing into the dark. Welcome to Solved Murders, True Crime Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. While we at ParCast love exploring the open-ended mysteries of our first show, Unsolved Murders, some of the most fascinating crimes are the ones where the bad guys get caught in the end. That's why every Wednesday, we'll tell you the tales of actual closed cases and reveal how some of life's greatest murder mysteries were solved. 
In part one, we will introduce you to the victims, the mystery of their deaths, and the initial steps investigators took towards finding their killer. In part two, we'll take you through all the dramatic twists and turns of the investigation and finally reveal how the suspect was caught and the murder was solved. You can find episodes of Solved Murders and all other ParCast originals for free exclusively on Spotify. To stream Solved Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Solved Murders in the search bar. This is our first episode on Sal Minio, an Academy Award-nominated actor, best known for his role as Plato in the film Rebel Without a Cause. In part one, we'll discuss Sal's rise to the top of show business and the circumstances that led to his tragic death. In part two, we'll cover the widely publicized investigation into Sal's murder. For years, detectives struggled to solve the case, allowing their personal biases to cloud their judgments. But with dogged determination and a little bit of luck, authorities eventually brought the culprit to justice. Around 9.30 p.m. on February 12, 1976, Sal Mineo's final screams echoed through his West Hollywood neighborhood. The shouts chilled his neighbor, Raymond Evans, to the bone. The moment he heard Sal yelling, he burst from his apartment and sprinted down the alley. He found 37-year-old Sal lying in a pool of dark blood. It bubbled from the wound in his chest and soaked the left side of his body. As the crimson puddle oozed toward the black wall, it looked as if Sal was melting into the shadows themselves. Ray rushed to the man's side and checked his pulse. He could just barely hear the crackling of Sal's ragged breath. He cupped his hand gently behind Sal's head and lifted it slightly, trying to speak to him. He started mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. It was no use. The beautiful face was blank, its dark eyes fixed on the empty sky. Ray recognized the man he was holding. Everybody did. It was Sal Mineo. He had been world famous for more than two decades. But though Sal's face was still delicate and his shoulders still broad, his eyes had lost their spark. The lively smile, the confident jut of his chin, the mischievous curl of his lips were all gone. Sal Mineo was dead. A tragic end to what had been a triumphant life. 37 years earlier, Salvatore Minio Jr. was born in the Bronx in a tight-knit Italian family. Growing up, he shared a single bed with his two brothers in a tiny apartment. His father, Salvatore Sr., was a Sicilian immigrant who worked as a coffin maker. His mother, Josephine, supported her husband not just by taking charge of the children, but also by working as his accountant. Young Sal took flack from bullies because of his father's line of work, but he never backed down from a fight. His fighting spirit soon became a problem, and by 1948, nine-year-old Sal had been expelled from two separate schools. Josephine worried about her son's future and attempted to keep him off the streets by making him help his father with the family business. But no matter how hard she worked him, Sal was incorrigible. Josephine struggled to redirect his boundless energy for years until 1948, when opportunity came knocking. May I help you? Actually, it's me who can help you. I was just chatting with your boy outside. 
Oh, whatever he said to you, I'm very sorry. Sal is spirited. <laughs> He's a delight. Your son has a lot of potential. Potential? To do what? To be on TV. I work for an acting school, and I think with a few lessons, Sal could be a star. If you get the boy in some classes, I can guarantee him auditions. <laughs> Thank you for the kind offer, but I don't think we're interested. All I'm asking is that you give it some thought. Take my card. Josephine wasn't keen on her son entering show business, but Sal had other ideas. He begged his mother to enroll him in the acting school. Eventually, she relented, hoping that the extra responsibility would keep Sal from falling in with the wrong crowd. In addition to regular school, Sal began attending acting and dancing classes twice a week. To help his family pay for the lessons, he took up a paper route in the mornings. Despite the workload, Sal excelled. He practiced his dance routines relentlessly, and everyone agreed Sal was a natural. His work ethic was remarkable for such a young boy. It didn't take long for his efforts to pay off. At just 11 years old, Sal landed his first speaking role. He was cast in the Tennessee Williams play The Rose Tattoo, coincidentally as a young boy named Salvatore. The 1951 production was a hit. Two years later, he got an even bigger break, playing alongside legendary actor Yul Brynner in the Broadway production of The King and I. Brenner became a mentor to Sal and encouraged the boy's talents. He later said, Sal is the best kid I ever worked with. So respectful, so eager to please. Some kids on stage get to be brats. Not Sal. He treated me like a father, and to me, he was like one of my kids. Of course, like any teenager, there were things Sal kept to himself, like his budding interest in girls. He learned the facts of life early and lost his virginity while playing in The King and I. As an outgoing child thrust onto a Broadway stage, Sal was often faced with situations he couldn't understand. He was frequently sexually harassed by older men when he left rehearsals at night. Eventually, things got so bad that Sal carried a starter pistol in his pocket whenever he took the subway. One night, as 13-year-old Sal made his way home at 2 in the morning, a man approached him in an otherwise deserted subway car. He smiled at the boy with yellow teeth and scooched close. Hey there, what's your name? Don't be shy, I won't hurt you. What have you got there? Whoa, 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 put down the gun, son. There's no need to... Sal escaped his attacker by firing off a blank and fleeing the scene. Luckily, the 13-year-old was never assaulted, but he did endure harassment nearly every night taking the train home. He never mentioned the incidents to his parents, worried that they would pull him from the play for his own safety. Sal couldn't let that happen. He was determined to become an actor no matter what sacrifices he had to make. As the years wore on, his skills improved, and he developed into a striking young man. His sweet looks and upbeat attitude gave him a sensitive aura, while his rough upbringing lent him an intriguing edge. These qualities soon landed him an audition for the moody, coming-of-age film, Rebel Without a Cause. The instant Maverick director Nicholas Ray saw 16-year-old Sal standing in line to audition, he was interested. <clears throat> Next up, we have Mr... Sal. Salminio. 
Ah, nice to meet you, Sal. Now, I want you to read through the script and tell me what part appeals to you. I want to be your Play-Doh. And why is that? I just think it's a better role. I like Plato's passion. I can relate to him. I couldn't agree more. Let's see what you got. In the film, Plato is the tortured companion to James Dean's protagonist, Jim Stark. Ray imagined Plato as a needy young boy who would do anything for a friend. To him, Sal had exactly the sort of plaintive androgynous allure he was looking for. After inviting Sal to read opposite James Dean, Ray's intuition was confirmed. He could tell from the get-go that Sal was attracted to Dean and told Dean to encourage Sal's infatuation. During that first reading, Dean drew Sal's attention to Natalie Wood, who played the female lead in the film. He told Sal to look at him with the same romantic longing as Natalie did when she was performing. Sal said, I couldn't understand, couldn't comprehend what was happening. Something was happening to me. I had no idea or any understanding of affection between men, and for the first time, I felt something strong. Rebel Without a Cause was perhaps the first time Sal reckoned with his own bisexuality. It was difficult for him to process, especially as a young breakout actor whose every move might be scrutinized by the press. Rumors soon swirled around set about Sal's sexual preferences. Dean, whose sexuality had also been the subject of speculation, did his best to protect him, but that only served to fuel the gossip further. Some began to believe that Sal was Dean's boy. Nevertheless, the two actors became extremely close during the making of the movie. When filming the finale, during which Sal's character is shot to death, Dean was moved to real tears. After a production wrapped, Sal returned home to New York an entirely different person. He was no longer a spunky, somewhat naive young actor. Now he was more experienced and on the cusp of manhood. Unfortunately, though Sal's career was looking up, a personal tragedy was just around the corner. When we return, Sal deals with the loss of a friend. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Now back to the story. In the summer of 1955, 16-year-old actor Sal Mineo had gotten his big break in the movie Rebel Without a Cause. Playing opposite James Dean was a dream come true for Sal. On September 20th, to celebrate the upcoming release of Rebel Without a Cause, Sal joined co-stars Natalie Wood and Nick Adams for dinner and a play. 
The trio spent the night enjoying each other's company and discussing their mutual admiration for James Dean. As the night came to an end, Sal and Adams returned to the hotel where they were staying. But before they could go up to their rooms, a studio employee pulled them aside. Hey, what's this about? Can't it wait till morning? I'm afraid I have some heartbreaking news. James Dean was in a car accident a few hours ago. Oh my God. Was he hurt? He passed away at the scene. Sal, are you all right? I... uh, I don't know. Sal was crushed by Dean's death. He'd both loved and admired the actor and had never experienced the loss of someone so close to his own age. For weeks, he confined himself to his room. He covered the walls in photos and magazine articles dedicated to Dean. His characteristic, upbeat attitude completely vanished, and Josephine grew concerned for her son. Sal, dinner's on the table. I'm not hungry. You need to eat. I will, Ma. I'm really just not hungry right now. You know, when you were filming, you used to call and talk about that girl Natalie all the time. You never even mentioned James Dean. So what? I'm I'm just trying to understand. Did he mean that much to you? Yes, he did. Josephine began worrying that Sal was suicidal. She tried to get him to talk to her, but Sal refused to tell her how he really felt. He didn't think she could understand the bond that he'd shared with Dean. In the end, it took a visit with Sal's surrogate father, actor Yule Brenner, to get the young man to open up. Sal spent some time with Brenner at his home in Connecticut and gradually began to process the death of his friend. Which was no small feat, especially after Rebel Without a Cause debuted in late October. The film was a smash hit, and Sal Mineo became a star overnight. Josephine, always hands-on where her son's career was concerned, was suddenly overwhelmed by fan mail. Sal's celebrity increased even further the following year. In 1956, he heard some big news while watching the Oscar nomination announcements with his family. Sal, slow down. It's not a race. I've got to hurry. I have a date. Dad, can you turn on the TV? They're announcing the Oscar nominees tonight. Sure. Do you think you'll be nominated, Sal? Of course not. Natalie might be. Members of the Academy's Actors Branch nominate these performances by an actor in a supporting role. Jack Lemon in Mr. Roberts. Joe Mantell in Marty. Arthur O'Connell in Picnic. Arthur Kennedy in Trial and Sal Minio in Rebel Without a Cause. Sal, did you hear that? Look at that. The camera's searching the crowd for you. <laughs> I'm here in New York. I wasn't even invited to the taping. Since Sal had relatively little film experience and wasn't tied to a contract with Warner Brothers, the studio hadn't expected him to be nominated. But none of that bothered 17-year-old Sal. He was overjoyed at the praise and took his mom as his date to the awards in March of 1956. He didn't end up winning the Oscar, but the publicity brought him plenty of new opportunities. Most often, he was asked to play a young delinquent like he had in Rebel. He became a poster child for the new generation of defiant teens and a popular teenage heartthrob. 
Sal experienced the dark side of his fame a month after the awards. As he went to the theater to promote his movie, Crime in the Streets, he was mobbed by a crowd of screaming fans. Can I have your autograph? <laughs> yeah, of course, doll. Thank you so much. I'm a huge fan. Do you think I could have a photograph as well? No, oh, I'm really sorry. It looks like we just ran out. I didn't expect to see this many people today. You don't have any more photographs? No! Excuse me, ma'am. I'm going to have to ask you to step back. Get your hands off me! We came to get a photograph of Sal Minio, and that's what we're going to do! The crowd became unmanageable after Sal ran out of photos. They broke through police barricades and trapped Sal in his car. For nearly half an hour, traffic was gridlocked as fans flooded the streets. The press called it Miniomania. Sal was on cloud nine. But Josephine worried his reputation would lead him to be pigeonholed. So when Arnold Maxson at Columbia Records approached Sal to record some music, both he and Josephine jumped at the chance. In early 1957, Sal's songs, Start Movin', In My Direction, and Love Affair were released. Though critics panned the tunes, Sal's rabid fan base lapped them up. Start Movin' sold over a million copies in its first two months and became Sal's first gold record. For the next year, he focused on his music career, performing on variety shows and releasing several new songs which sold well. But soon he grew antsy. He realized that he couldn't split his time between both acting and singing. He wanted to devote himself to acting, to be the best he could be. So in 1959, still looking to shake up his typecasting, Sal took his riskiest role yet. He played a Native American in the Disney movie Tonka. For the most part, critics praised his performance, and some forecasted a bright future for Sal as he transitioned to adulthood. But behind the scenes, Sal was struggling to grow up. He was finally old enough to understand the full breadth of his responsibilities, not just to his fans, but to his family as well. Hello, son. Could your mother and I talk to you about something? Of course. What's on your mind? Uh, you know, the casket business has been hurting the past couple years, and I'm going to need to borrow a little more money from you. Ma handles my finances. Why are you asking me? I just thought it was right to ask you to your face. Well, I don't know. Do whatever you want. Do not be so dismissive, Sal. Your father has worked himself to the bone for this family. I know that, okay? Look, I'm sure you two will make the right decision. I just can't deal with all this right now. Take what you need. Sal slowly realized that his career wasn't just about him. His family had come to depend on his financial support. He tried to do what was best for them. But as time went on, he began to resent the added responsibility and his mother's heavy hand in his career. Have you read this script for A Private's Affair? I think it's a good role. You should take it. Come on, Ma. I don't want to do a silly musical comedy. You would rather pretend to be a drug dealer or a villain? People are starting to talk, Sal. You're getting the wrong kind of reputation. Isn't that better than doing things I'm not passionate about? Who needs passion? You have a family to take care of. 
So I'm just supposed to be miserable for your sake. This is not a discussion, Sal. We need the money. And this is a great part. After this, maybe you can do something else. Fine. Where are you going? Out. Against his better judgment, Sal acted in A Private Affair. After the movie was panned by critics, he finally convinced his mother to loosen the reins, at least for a time. In 1960, he took a serious role that he believed would earn him critical respect. The movie was titled Exodus and focused on a teenage survivor of Auschwitz. It was to be filmed on location in Israel, so Sal would get to escape the stresses his fame brought him in the States. But even more exciting to Sal was his co-star, 14-year-old Valerie Jill Haworth. She was a meek girl, but a talented actress and eager to learn. She soon began to look up to Sal, which flattered him. Because she was so young, she eagerly listened to whatever he had to say. With his mother busy in New York, Sal boasted about Jill to his older brother Mike, who chaperoned him on the trip. You have to meet my co-star, Jill Haworth. She's beautiful and charming, and I only wish she were a little older than 14. She has the prettiest blue eyes I've ever seen. At first she was a little shy when she got on the plane, but I gradually made her feel more at ease. Sounds swell. Yeah, she's great. Anyway, thanks again for coming with me. It's nice to have a familiar face around. Sure. It's not like I have anything better to do. It's an honor to be my little brother's errand boy. Mike, come on. You'll catch a break eventually. You just have to work for it. Work for it? Like you did? Yeah, like I did. You know, I didn't just roll out of bed one day and decide to become an actor. I spent years honing my craft. I was there, Sal. I don't need your pep talks, and I don't need your pity. And I certainly don't need your money. Why don't you pick up your own bar tab, then? I'm out of here. Mike had trouble accepting his younger brother's success. His self-esteem plummeted, and he spent most of his time in Israel drinking. Meanwhile, Sal learned he had serious financial problems. For years, he had been paying his brothers to help answer his fan mail and drive him around, but his mother had never reported the income to the IRS. The government found out about the oversight and suddenly demanded tens of thousands in back taxes. The stress was so bad that Sal suffered nightmares. When Exodus wrapped, he searched for someone he could confide in without being judged. He found himself drawn to his teenage co-star, Jill Haworth. I don't know what happened, Jill. My life had been so simple before. Now it's like a sweater that's unraveling. I used to be happy. Now, I'm too frightened to feel anything else. I think you're really brave, Sal. I mean, I'm scared all the time. I wish I could take charge of things like you do. <sighs> you really are an angel. At the time, Jill and Sal were spending a lot of time together doing interviews and public appearances to promote Exodus. Jill was in awe of Sal, a world-famous celebrity who knew what it was like to be a child actor. Sal liked to have the upper hand and was pleased that Jill deferred to him on almost everything. During the final months of 1960, their relationship intensified. In December, 21-year-old Sal had sex with 15-year-old Jill. The two continued seeing each other even as the rest of Sal's life grew more complicated. 
1961, he broke away from his mother and finally hired a professional manager. The decision caused tension, but Sal was more than a match for Josephine. So you're just going to throw your family by the wayside? Your problems are your own. My problems are your own. Don't be such a martyr. I was a kid, Ma. I didn't know about taxes and Social Security. I trusted you to take care of things. Now I'm world famous and somehow in debt up to my eyeballs. One day, you'll have to learn to take responsibility for yourself. That's exactly what I'm doing. (sighs) Look, I'll continue paying for the house, but my manager says I can't afford to pay salaries to my whole family. We have to cut back. You're breaking your mother's heart. I'm sorry, Ma. It's time for me to grow up. Sal hated to disappoint his mother, but he saw no other way out. He had to stay laser-focused on his career. He was a serious actor, and he wanted serious roles. But the more he tried to assert his independence and change the public's mind, the more alone he became. Coming up... Sal's relationships deteriorate as he struggles to be true to himself. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Now back to the story. In 1961, 22-year-old actor Sal Minio had just finished filming his most demanding role yet, playing an Auschwitz survivor in the movie Exodus. Sal was convinced that doing a good job in Exodus would change the industry's mind about him. He hoped it would finally make critics take him seriously as a performer. At first, it looked like his gambit paid off. His performance in Exodus was highly praised. He even nabbed his second Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Unfortunately, Sal was passed up for the award once again, but managed to win the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture. Over the next couple of years, Sal moved out of his family's house, for the first time in his life living on his own. Though he relished his newfound independence, he hated to be alone. In 1962, Jill convinced her parents to let her visit 23-year-old Sal in California. She told them she was staying with the producer. In reality, the 16-year-old had moved in with Sal. It was the first time she and Sal had spent so much time together alone. Jill soon learned that Sal wasn't exactly the adult he appeared to be. He also had some strange ideas about sex. 
he insisted Jill sign a handwritten sex contract with a complete list of things he expected and allowed her to do. He signed one as well, promising to be faithful to her. Jill took it with a grain of salt at the time, convincing herself that it was all a joke to Sal. Jill was naive and accepted Sal's eccentricities. The two of them spent as much time as they could together, but it was difficult to bond with their hectic schedules. As time went on, they began to drift apart. In 1963, Sal was called away from home once again. He began filming for a part as a Native American in the movie Cheyenne Autumn, directed by John Ford. Ford had wanted to get genuine Native American actors to play the lead roles, but the studio overruled him, claiming Sal had established youth appeal. Ford was a director with a long tenure in the business and hated to be denied. He took his frustration out on Sal during the filming, whom he exclusively referred to as Saul. Saul, would you turn off that damn racket? But Mr. Ford, this kind of music has to be played at a certain volume. Otherwise, one can't get complete satisfaction out of it. You sure about that? Is that a knife? Yes, it is, Saul. Yeah, I can play it quieter, sir. Much quieter. That's what I thought. Needless to say, Sal hated working with Ford. As soon as production wrapped, he returned to his beach house, eager to blow off steam. Jill was often filming away from Los Angeles at the time. While she was away, Sal threw enormous parties and discovered a new side of himself. Guys, I want you to meet my new friend, Bobby Sherman. Nice to meet you, Bobby. What do you do? Well, nothing right now. But he's got a beautiful voice. You gotta hear it. I hooked him up with my agent. I've got a guy coming in to give him music lessons next week. Sal's been very generous. Ah, don't mention it. That's how it is in this business. I help you out now, and then we both win big when you become a star. Here, follow me. There's more people you gotta meet. It was clear to almost everyone that Sal was physically attracted to his new friend, 19-year-old Bobby Sherman. Bobby even began sleeping at Sal's when Jill was out of the house. According to another of Sal's friends, Eric Williams, there was a picture of Jill in the beach house, and Sal took it down when she wasn't there and replaced it with Bobby's. Sal was playing with fire, and Jill was the one who got burned. She found out about Sal's cheating one afternoon in the worst way possible. Hey, Sal, I was just going to... What the hell is going on? Uh, Jill, I I can explain. We were just... Well, don't stop on my account. Jill was completely taken by surprise when she stumbled in on Sal and Bobby together. She had no idea that Sal was interested in men, and the revelation confused and shocked her. She immediately broke things off and flew back home to her parents in New York. Sal's friend called him a few days later. Hello? Sal, I just heard about Jill. How could you let her go? I don't care what you think. I prefer men. I like it. That's the way I want it. That's what I want. I'm attracted to boys. After that, Sal began to be more open about his sexuality. Though he worked to keep his private life out of the press, rumors about him began to swirl in the tabloids. 
The gossip became just one more excuse for Hollywood to ignore him. Casting agents and directors, especially older conservative types like John Ford, saw him as a shallow teenage heartthrob and, ironically, a relic of the past. The leather jacket-toting rebels with slicked back hair and cigarettes had become cliché. For years, Sal had tried to change his image to be accepted as a serious adult performer. Unfortunately, miniomania was hard to forget. As quickly as it came, Sal's fame seemed to dry up. He tried to distract himself by investing more into his relationship with Bobby Sherman. Sal continued to promote him as a singer and spent his own money so Bobby could record some singles. Despite his efforts, Bobby's music career didn't get off the ground. In late 1964, Bobby broke up with 25-year-old Sal. Bobby had been using Sal for his connections and was uncomfortable with how seriously Sal took their relationship. Sal was crushed. On top of everything, his money problems were worse than ever. Well, I hope you're proud of yourself, Sal. What is it now, Ma? Your father had to sell his business. I thought Mike told you. I haven't talked to Mike since Israel. Why would you? He's only your big brother. Why don't you spend your time guilting him? You know, I'm living hand-to-mouth over here. Even when I've got no work, you expect me to shoulder all the burden. You've forgotten where you came from, Sal. I wish I could! Over the next few years, Sal's career hit rock bottom. Acting parts in Hollywood all but dried up, and he lived in constant debt. Sal tried to rectify the situation by investing in ideas he could own for himself. Anytime he got his hands on a little money from doing bit parts in TV shows or movies, he funneled it into projects he could direct or produce. His efforts achieved mixed results. One of his biggest successes of the era came in 1969, when Sal, then 30 years old, directed and starred in a production of the controversial LGBT-themed play, Fortune and Men's Eyes. He'd taken a considerable artistic risk with the project. Not only was he openly targeting an LGBT audience, but he also appeared fully nude on stage. Unfortunately, the production successes only further ostracized him in Hollywood. His sexuality still wasn't accepted by many in the industry, and the controversy didn't make him any more attractive to casting agents. Despite his struggles, Sal was being more true to himself than he'd ever been in his personal life. During the making of Fortune and Men's Eyes, he met a new love, actor Courtney Burr III. Courtney and Sal had a complicated relationship. When they first became involved, Courtney was engaged to a woman named Jessica. But as production began, Courtney and Sal grew intimate. Courtney discovered a new side to himself and ended his engagement to be with Sal. For years, the men shared an on-again, off-again, open relationship. Though they often fought and were prone to fits of jealousy, in the end, they always came back to each other. Courtney gave Sal an emotional foundation and someone to lean on. His support became all the more important in 1972, when 33-year-old Sal received some devastating news. Courtney? What is it? It's my dad. He's sick. I have to go to New York. It's going to be all right. I'm here. Sal had retained a tepid relationship with his family since his career downturn. 
he hadn't spoken to his older brother Mike in years and never fully resolved his issues with his mother. Just like he was with Courtney, Sal could be hot-tempered with his family and didn't back away from a fight. But he was also quick to forgive as long as he wasn't provoked. After hearing the news about his father, Sal returned home immediately and the Minios put their issues behind them. Even so, the grieving process wasn't easy. Salvatore Sr. was perhaps the only member of the family who Sal never had an argument with. He always loved and respected his father and was crushed to bid him goodbye. Hi, Dad. Sal, you came. Hey, of course I did. Can I do anything for you? Are you in pain? Don't worry about me. I'm so happy to see you. You know, I'm used to people telling me what to say in times like this. <laughs> I love you, son. I love you, too. You were always the man I wished I could be. No, you were always yourself. And I'm so proud of who you became. <laughs> After the funeral, Sal returned to his unsteady life with Courtney. He spent the next several years diligently scrounging up work, never giving up on reviving his career. Finally, after years of struggling, Sal's luck turned around. A popular play he'd previously auditioned for, P.S. Your Cat is Dead, lost their actor. He was getting another big break. It was life-changing. I suppose you know why we called you here. Not really, actually. <laughs> well, it's good news, kid. We loved your reading for Vito. We want to cast you in the play. But that was months ago. I thought I didn't get that part. Times change. Our previous Vito left the production. Now we want to give you a shot. In October, 36-year-old Sal landed a part in P.S. Your Cat is Dead. It was the first time he had been genuinely excited for a role in years. The job put a spring in his step, and his performance received highly positive reviews. Though Sal still drove a ratty Chevelle and lived in an apartment with mostly rented furniture, he felt his career was finally on an upswing again. He worked hard at rehearsals and easily won over his castmates and director. He was also settling down in his personal life. After years of turmoil, he had strengthened his relationship with Courtney. Sal was clawing his way back to the top, and he couldn't have been happier. Sadly, his triumph would be cut short. On the night of February 12, 1976, Sal returned from rehearsals weary from a long day's work. As he crossed the courtyard to his apartment, he had no idea that someone was watching him from the darkness, a long hunting knife clutched in their hand. Thanks again for tuning into Solved Murders. We'll be back next Wednesday with part two on Sal Minio, where we'll cover the twists and turns of the three-year investigation into the actor's death. Then we'll see exactly how the Los Angeles PD solved the case. For more information on Sal Minio, amongst the many sources we used, we found the biography Sal Minio by Michael Greg Michaud extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Solved Murders and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. 
Well, not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Solved Murders, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Solved Murders on Spotify, just open the app and type Solved Murders in the search bar. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Solve Murders True Crime Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Paracast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Solve Murders was written by Tara Wells, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Joe Hernandez, Kai Jordan, Kim Lynn Tran, Dan Velasquez, and Jen Wong. It stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. 